All right, good evening. So this is our fourth class of the In Their Footsteps series, Life Lessons from the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Um, last week we talked about, we focused, I would say, on Abraham's chesed, his acts of kindness, um, and just the, the way he went about it. And we're going to build on that a little bit, but also shift to kind of view, examine certain, certain events. And also try to also get a little bit of a, a grasp of Avram's wife, Sarah, Sarah, and who she was and what was, what was her role and her contribution. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that our introduction, really, what we spoke about the first couple of weeks, which is that Abraham and Sarah and the forefathers in general, patriarchs, matriarchs, they understood their role, not just as perhaps we would, which is like, you know, I'm me and I'm going through my life and I have to be the best, you know, do the best that I can, which is true for everyone and true for them also. But, but they saw their, they understood that they were founding something great. They understood that they were the roots. They were, they were trying to create a nation, really that would be dedicated to one God. And so, you know, we talked about how they, they were prophets and they're, they're very, they're, they're, the events that they experienced were prophecy themselves. And they understood that they knew that. And they, and they understood that their choices were, you know, and this is true to some extent for everyone, but, but even more so for them that, that their choices were going to affect not just them, but generations to come. And so the decisions that they make are made with that knowledge that we're starting something great here. We're starting a great nation that's going to, to be the, you know, the, the light unto all other, other nations. And uh, that's something I think we'll, we'll keep in mind as we, as we learn tonight. So we, we're kind of going in order of Avraham's life, kind of going a little bit out of order. But once again, I, I put back on the source sheet again this week, the same chart from last week, because I want to just refer back to it. If you have the source sheet, um, I sent it out to everyone. Um, and and so we, we basically, we, we talked about Avraham's test of lech lecha, go, travel, leave your homeland, travel to the land of Canaan. We talked about how then Avram ended up going down to Egypt because of a famine. And we talked about last week on his way back from Egypt, on his way back to Canaan, how he stopped at all the same inns that he had stopped at before. We talked about the significance of that and the sensitivity and the kindness that, 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 that really was behind that. And then we jumped ahead in his life to the events of the, of the three angels visiting. So I'm going to now come back actually to where we left off. So we left off that he has now returned to the land of Canaan. And, and uh, this is chapter, that was in chapter 12. And, and now we're going to actually read the, from the sort of the beginning of chapter 13. And, uh, and the verses that I want to start with are on the source sheet. And now we're going to talk about Avraham and his relationship with his nephew, Lot. Uh, Lot traveled with Avraham everywhere he went. When Avraham left his homeland of 
Haran, he, he, you know, he brought his wife, Sarah, he brought his followers and Lot was among them. Lot came along. So Lot was a true student of Abraham. When Abraham went down to Egypt, Lot was with him. And uh, Lot being his nephew, Lot's father was named Haran. And we mentioned the first week, Haran died following Abraham into the furnace. When, when uh, King Nimrod took Abraham and said, you know, worship idols and Abraham refused and Nimrod basically decided to throw him into a furnace and God saved Abraham. So Haran was like, oh, if Abraham was saved, I'm going to be on his side and I'm going to try it too. And, uh, and he ended up, God said, you know, that's not good enough basically. And, uh, and Haran died in the, in that furnace. So, so Lot is left without a father and he ends up, uh, he ends up following Abraham in his life. So now we pick up, they, they've now left Egypt and they're back in the land of Canaan. And the verses say as follows, we're in chapter 13, verse five. And also Lot who went with Avram had flocks and cattle and tents. So Lot became wealthy. Avraham became wealthy when they left Egypt, in Egypt really. They gave him lots, they showered him with gifts and, and following that as well, Avram was, uh, you know, was somewhat of a, of a celebrity. He was a leader. People came to him. They brought him things. They brought him gifts and et cetera. He, he was very wealthy. And Lot was also wealthy, the verse says. Now it says specifically, and Lot who went with Avram. So there seems to be a connection between Lot's wealth and him going with Avram. So Rashi comments there, quoting from the Talmud, what brought about that he had this wealth? His going with Avram. The implication is because he stuck close to Avram, that's how he merited great wealth. Now that could be either because of, you know, sort of spiritual merit, which some commentaries assume that that's what that means, that, uh, you know, he, Avram had great merit and merited therefore to, you know, great wealth and, and Lot was able to, to tap into that. Or it could be a practical thing. Like I mentioned, you know, people would come from all over to meet with Avram. And, uh, and Lot was his gatekeeper. This is how the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Berlin explains it. Lot was the, was the gatekeeper. And, uh, and people, and, and not only that, but also like a, a, a teacher student of Avram. You know, he had, he had followed Avram. He had learned from Avram. And, uh, and as a result... Lot himself had much to offer and people would come and, and see and see Lot himself and, and want to meet with him and bring him gifts and bring him wealth. So, so not only did uh, not only did did Avram have wealth, but Lot, his nephew, also had wealth. So then it says in verse six, and the land did not bear them to dwell together for their possessions were many and they could not dwell together. So we have actually a little bit of a redundancy here. First, it says the land did not bear them to dwell together for their possessions were many. So apparently, like we said, they were both wealthy. They both had a lot of animals and uh, flocks and cattle. And there was, uh, they needed grazing space. So apparently there was, there wasn't really room for both of them, but it also says, and they could not dwell together. So here again, um, Rabbi, Berlin, Berlin, the Nitziv, which actually I'm going to be quoting um, a few times here now, um, his approach to this, this episode. 
So he, he, he notes this double language. First, it says they it could not bear them. And then it says they could not dwell together. So he says it's coming to teach us that there was a separate issue. Besides for that, there wasn't really room for both of them, but they couldn't dwell together. They weren't seeing eye to eye. Something happened where they're, they're starting to go in different directions in their, in their life's approach. And, uh, and the, their, their, their perspectives, their nature had changed. And now they were having trouble getting along, Lot and Avraham. Lot was veering from, the, you know, from Avraham's ways. And on the other hand, though, they kind of needed to be together because they both had great, uh, <clears throat> great wealth and flocks and cattle, and they, there wasn't really room for them to be totally separate. They ended up in the same places, so it, they couldn't really stay apart. But, uh, but at the same time, um, it wasn't really a good idea for them to be near each other because they had, as the verse says at the end, they could not dwell together anymore. But still, Avram kind of tolerates it. He doesn't yet, at this point, try to send Lot away. He deals with it, even though they're not getting along. But he's patient, and uh, and he, he nothing happens yet. But then the next verse says in verse seven, and there was a quarrel between the herdsmen of Avram's cattle and between the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And then it throws in, and the Canaanites and the Prezites were there dwelling in, dwelling in the land. So it tells us that the shepherds, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Avram got into some kind of quarrel. And also it throws in, and by the way, the Canaanites were still living there, which seems like a throw in. We'll offer two explanations for why it's saying that. The first we'll read is the Rashi, which is there on the page on the source sheet. So there was a quarrel. What was the quarrel about? So Rashi explains, since Lot's herdsmen were wicked and they pastured their animals in fields belonging to others, Avram's herdsmen rebuked them for committing robbery. So, uh, so again, like I said, Lot, he's taking, uh, he's veering from the path of Avram and here his, his servants, his shepherds are taking his animals and allowing them to graze in other people's fields. And, uh, and Avram's shepherds rebuke them. And they responded, the land was given to Avram, who has no heir. So, so, you know, God promised this land to Avram, and he has no children, Avram, at this point. So Lot will inherit him. And so this is his land. So it's okay for us to graze wherever we want. That was their response. But then that's why the verse concludes, but scripture states, and the Canaanites and the Prezites were then dwelling in the land, that the Canaanites were still there, and the Prezites, another tribe that was there. They were still there, meaning Avram had not yet been awarded its possession. So there's no, there's no, it wasn't Avram's yet, and it certainly wasn't Lot's yet. You know, it's a bit of a strange claim because even if it was Avram's, it wasn't Lot's yet, either way, right? Lot, they're saying eventually Avram's gonna die and then it's gonna go to Lot. So it's already ours. Well, it's not already yours, right? So uh so that was the uh that's a Rashi's approach, and that's the connection between the first half of the verse and the second half that there was a quarrel. And by the way, the Canaanites were still there. Like, so what? Why is that significant? The significance is that the quarrel was over who had the rights to the land, but the verse testifies the Canaanites were still there. Avram didn't yet have the rights to this land. And so Lot, the claim of Lot shepherds was, had no basis. That's, that's Rashi's approach. So again, going back the, to the Nitziv though, the Nitziv said that 
everything, you know, they were not getting along, Lo and Avram, but Avram was tolerating him until this happened. And after this happens, he's going to say, that's enough. What happened? What, why is this quarrel so significant? So, so he says that this event caused a great, what we call a chilul Hashem, a, a desecration of God's name. You know, Avram is, Avram is the representative of God. He's going around teaching people um, monotheism. He's going around teaching people the proper way to live, how to be kind, how to be caring for others. And, and here you have that, I mean, starting with Rashi's approach where they're grazing in other people's fields. These are his, his people, but not only that, now there's fighting going on. There's fighting going on. They can't even get along. So, so what, so people who see this, what do they say? They say, oh, you know, the Jews can't even get along with the, with each other, right? Jews, wherever they, wherever their status was, but the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the family of Abraham, of Avraham, they can't get along with each other. What kind of a, what kind of a, of a way of life is this? And, and then the verse says, and by the way, the Canaanites and the Prezites were living in the land and they were not fighting. That's why it mentions that in the verse, because it, it's comparing, it's saying Avraham's people, tribes, him and Lot, his people are fighting with each other. And uh, not, not Avraham and Lot themselves, but at least the, the, uh, the, the shepherds and, and the Canaanites and the Prezites were living in the land without any fighting going on. So now Avram's, this is kind of the last straw. Now there's a Chil Hashem. Now there's a desecration of, of God's name. There's a desecration of Avraham's mission to, to uh, popularize, to teach the world about God and God's ways. And so now he's forced to act. Up till now, he was able to be patient, but now he's forced to act. And that's why, um, and that's why the next verse, verse number 10, Sorry, excuse me. Um, verse eight. And Avram said to Lot, please let there be no quarrel between me and between you and between my herdsmen and between your herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. We shouldn't be fighting. Is not all the land before you? There's so much land here. Please part from me. If you go left, I will go right. And if you go right, I will go left. So Avram says, we can't, we can't be together right now. It's not working out. We need to put some space between us. So... And I'm going to let you choose about where you want to go. And, and it's interesting. He doesn't say you choose. You could go right. You could go left. He says, if you go right, I'll go left. And if you go left, I'll go right now. Or maybe the other word, whatever word he said. So, so why? Why doesn't he just say, you know, choose where you want to go and go. But he's actually, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to put it all, all the onus of travel of moving on load. They have to create a certain amount of distance between themselves. So he could say, you go, you know, and create the distance, but that's not really fair, right? So he says, we'll, I'll also move away. And that way we'll be moving, you know, we'll each move halfway of whatever the distance is that we need to go. And not only that, but I'm going to give you the choice of which direction you want to go. So you choose, you choose which direction you want to go and I'll go the other direction. And that way we'll put, we'll put distance between us and we'll be equal effort on both of our parts and you'll have the choice. So Avram's kind of giving Lot everything, right? Lot's wealth in the first place is only because of his relationship with Avram. The, 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 the trouble that, that's come about is because of Lot. But Avram says, still, I'm going to give you the choice of where you want to go. Um, 
Rashi also quotes over here, we should see uh, on verse nine. He says, if you go left, I will go right. What Avram is also saying is, I'm not going to be too far from you. Wherever you dwell, I will not distance myself from you. I will stand by you as a protector and a helper. I'll be there for you. I'm not going to totally distance myself from you. Just enough that we won't regularly encounter each other. We won't have fighting anymore. But I'm not going to be totally distant from you. And I'm going to be a protector for you. And guess what, says Rashi? That he ended up needing it. He ultimately needed him. As it is said, and Avram heard that his kinsmen had been captured, etc. So Lo actually ends up getting captured by, uh, in, in, in a war. And Avram goes and saves him. So we'll probably talk about that soon a little more. But, but, uh, but Avram says, don't, you know, you don't, I'll be there to protect you. I'll be there to protect you. So, so he's, he's staying, he's, he's putting enough distance between him and Lot as necessary, but he wants him, he says, you know, stay close and I will still offer protection for you. Now, interestingly, what does Lot decide? So Lot decides, it says, and Lot raised his eyes and he saw the entire plain of the Jordan that it was entirely watered before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you come to Tsar. So he saw beautiful, fertile land and Lot chose for himself the entire plain of the Jordan and Lot traveled from the east and they parted from one another. So he chose that he chose this area in the Jordan there, basically ends up in Sodom. And, uh, and that's where he's gonna get captured for. This is before stone was destroyed. That was a little bit later. But first he, he lives there for a little bit. But this choice actually was not one of the choices that Avram was giving him. He, he, Avram said, you know, don't go too far. You know, you could be in, uh, you go right, I'll, I'll go left, you go left, I'll go right. This choice that Lot made was a much further choice. Lot decided, I, I don't, you know, I don't need it. I'll go, I'll go all the way to Sodom. Now, of course, you know, to choose such a place, we know Stone, Stone ends up getting destroyed because they have a terrible track record, right? So it's already a place of evil. And, uh, and the verse already tells us that now. It says in 12, Avram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and he pitched his tents until Sodom. And the people of Sodom were very evil and sinful against the Lord. So Lot is choosing to live amongst sinners, to live amongst people who have no kindness in them. And he, so you see how far this man has moved from being a student of Avram, a follower of Avram. And now he leaves Avram and he goes and he lives among people who are the total, total opposite of Avram. And that's the choice that, that Lot makes. And what happens? Lot gets captured. He gets captured. There's a war. Sodom is basically taking over and Lot gets captured, taken into captivity by these four powerful kings. And what does Avram do? He goes, he, when he hears about it, he gets a messenger comes, tells him Lot's been captured. He goes and he rescues Lot from the four kings. So this is Lot who was, seemed to be totally ungrateful to Avram for all that Avram had done for him, you know, taking him along and, and all his wealth came as a result of Avram. This is Lot who had turned and abandoned Avraham's ways completely. This is Lot who Avram said, I'll protect you, just stay close. He went far away. And despite all that, Avraham still 
When Wot's in trouble, he goes and he helps him at great risk, at great risk. You know, in the, later in, right after the war and where Avram rescues Lot, so we have another verse. It's in, uh, it's also verse, it's in number two on the, on the sources. It says that after these incidents, this is chapter 15, after these incidents, the word of the Lord came to Avram in a vision saying, fear not Avram, I am your shield. Your, your reward is exceedingly great. Fear not Avram. Why was Avram afraid? And why did he think that maybe his reward wouldn't be exceedingly great? What was he afraid of? Why did Hashem, why did God have to come and say, don't worry, it's all good. Don't be afraid. Don't worry, you'll still get your reward in the world to come. So Rashi says, after these incidents, wherever the word, the term achar, after, is used, it signifies immediately afterwards. Um, achare signifies a long time afterwards. So this is, but here it says achar, which means immediately afterwards. So God comes to me immediately afterwards. So what, what happened? After this miracle had been wrought for him, that he slew the kings and rescued Lot, he was worried and said, perhaps I have received reward for all my righteous deeds. Maybe this is, I'm getting my reward in the world to come, in, in this world. You know, a guy had to save me through a miracle. This was miraculous that I was saved, that I was able to, to rescue Lot and defeat the four kings. That was, that was nothing short of miraculous. Maybe I used up all my merit. Maybe I'm not going to receive reward in the world to come. That's where Avram is worried about. So therefore, the omnipresent God said to him, Fear not, Abraham, Avram, I am your shield from punishment, meaning from retribution, I think, from those, from those nations that you, had, that you fought against. And also, um, and as far as you're being worried about receiving a reward, your reward is exceedingly great. Don't worry, you haven't missed out. So uh, God warns him. But you see from this how, how much Avram put on the line to, to save Lot. He... He put himself, his, 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 his life in this world on the line, but, but he, he was putting his life in the next world on the line even. He was putting his, his olam haba, his world to come. He wasn't sure after this if he would still receive reward in the next world. And he still did it. So this is a great, a great act, a great risk. It's something that he totally could have you know, justified not doing, but not just because it's a great act. But yeah, all the reasons not to do it. Lot was so ingrateful to him. Lot, Lot had, uh, had left his ways. Lot was you know, go, doing the opposite of what Avram had hoped for him. Lot, Avram had offered to protect him, stay close. Lot went far and then ends up getting captured. All the reasons in the world, Avram could say, listen, you had this coming. I'm sorry, right? And yet he still goes and, and, and saves him. And I think in, in life, there are so many things that, that come towards us, opportunities, you know, without risking our life like Avram, opportunities to do good. And we are very good at coming up with reasons not to do them. And they're good reasons, not saying they're not good reasons. We have good excuses, good reasons why we can't help out here or can't do this or can't do that. And they're valid and they're good. But people who are good at coming up with good reasons don't get as much done in life, right? So Avraham is the example of someone who there's so many reasons not to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. And sometimes I think that's, that's, 
That's the approach of a person who accomplishes in life. Someone who's able to say, I, you know, despite all the, all the justifications and all the reasons, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to go ahead and act. I think that's a really important lesson to take from Avram. Okay. Um, now I want to move on to another episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about Avraham's wife, Sarah, or originally Sarai, later changed to Sarah, Sarah. And what we'll do is we'll read a few verses, we'll talk about them, we'll read a few more. There's a couple of important episodes with Sarah, and frankly, they're they're difficult. They're challenging episodes to really grasp what's going on. And so, so let's look at source number three. And Sarah has been married to Avram, actually, it says for a while. So, so verse, let's just start reading. It says in number, this is um, source three on the source sheet, Veracious, Genesis chapter 16, not verse three. So Sarai, Avram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her handmaid, at the end of 10 years of Avram's dwelling in the land of Canaan, and she gave her to Avram, her husband, for a wife. So Sarah, after 10 years of living in Canaan, still has not been able to conceive a child. And so she would like Avram to be able to have a child. So she gives her, her handmaid, her maidservant, who was an Egyptian woman, um, Egyptian princess even, Hagar, he gives her she gives her to Avram as a wife to, so that they could have a child. And he came to Hagar and she conceived. So very quickly, she is pregnant with a child and she saw that she was pregnant and her mistress became unimportant in her eyes. In the Hebrew, it's vatekal. She was kal, she was light. She was all of a sudden, you know, Hagar is pregnant. She's bearing Avraham's child, and she starts to look on Sarah with disdain. Um, what, you know, what was the manifestation of that? So Rashi tells us at the top of the of page two on the source sheet, and her mistress became unimportant in her eyes. So, her, so, so Sarah became unimportant, became disdained in the eyes of Hagar. She said, this Sarai, her conduct in secret is not like her conduct in public. She shows herself as if she is a righteous woman, but she is not a righteous woman, for she did not merit to conceive all these years, whereas I have conceived from the first union. She says it must be that Sarah can't be that great. If, she, if Sarah was really the righteous woman that she lets on to be, then God would have already blessed her with the child. She must be a faker. And, uh, and me, you know, I already, you know, just in one, one, one union with, with, uh, with Abraham and I'm already pregnant. That was what, uh, that was what Hagar was claiming. So Rashi here is quoting from the Midrash. The, Mid, there's a, the Midrash actually has a little bit, um, adds a little bit more to the story. Um, you know, who was she saying this to? Who was she saying this to? So she would say this to people who would come to visit with Sarah and, uh, and certainly left a, a bad impression on people of Sarah. She would say, Sarah's a faker. She's, uh, she's not as righteous as, as she lets on to be, obviously, because she hasn't merited you know, a child, which is obviously a, you know, a, uh, a crazy claim to make, 
by anyone, you know, you know, God, God makes his decisions and it's not necessarily because, you know, we can, we don't know the why and the plan and, and uh, it's not for, for her to assume, oh, it must be that she's wicked. Like that's a crazy claim, but that's what she was telling people. That's what she was telling people. So verse five, and Sarai said to Avram, may my injustice be upon you. I gave my handmaid into your bosom and she saw that she had become pregnant and I became unimportant in her eyes. May the Lord judge between me and you. The word injustice, the Hebrew is chamasi, chamati. It's a hard word to translate. Injustice will make, describe it a little bit differently also. My injustice be upon you. And she says, let God judge between me and you. So there's something that she's somewhat, I guess, blaming, uh, blaming Avram for what happened. I didn't put it on here. Rashi brings an idea that she, she said that Avram, you only prayed for yourself. You didn't pray for me. That's why you were able to have, you're going to have a child, but I'm not. Um, but I, I want to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, but let's just read the next verse. So Avram said to Sarai, here is your handmaid in your hand. Do to her that which is proper in your eyes. Do what you want with her. So it says, and Sarai afflicted her. Vate'aneha in the Hebrew. She, she afflicted her and she fled from before. So, so Hagar runs away. An angel appears to her, says, you're going to have a child. And she ends up going back. But, uh, but in the meantime, she, Sarah afflicted her and she ran away. What's, uh, what does it mean she afflicted her? So Rashi says, she enslaved her harshly. She, I mean, she was her slave, her maidservant, but she worked her extra harshly, seemingly. So I think we have to understand what's going on in this episode a little bit better. Now, the Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the great medieval commentator, um, says something shocking. It's not the only thing that he said like this. We, we already had something very similar you know, back when, uh, back when Avraham comes to Canaan and there's a famine, he goes down to Egypt and, and the Ramban, we mentioned it in that uh, second class, I think it was, that the Ramban said that was a sin. He, he, it was the wrong thing for Avraham to do to go down to Egypt. So he says a similar thing here, meaning he once again, um, and, you know, in general, we take an approach where we, you know, when we examine the lives of the forefathers, like it's like, you know, we can't imagine how great they were. It's not really for us to say that, some, that they sinned. But someone as great as the commentator, the Ramban has, the, uh, has sort of the authority to say such thing, although others don't make such comments. So the Ramban says that Sarah sinned here. When she afflicted, when she afflicted um, Hagar, that was, that was a sin, that was wrong. And, uh, and also Avram for letting her do it was wrong. And he says that, uh, that the result was a Yishmael. That's the son that Hagar is going to have. And, uh, and as a result, Yishmael and his offspring would cause all sorts of affliction to, to her descendants, which has been true throughout history. So uh, so very powerful, powerful statement. And that's the Ramban's approach. The approach is that this was actually the wrong thing to do. And, and you know, we've suffered as a result. Because like we've mentioned, the, the choices and the, and the, the actions of, of Avram and Sarah in particular, all the forefathers and foremothers all have resounding um, effect. But that, that's, that's what the Ramban says. But the, the, 
the, the, our sages in the Midrash and the Talmud seem to take a different approach, not specifically in explaining this verse necessarily, but we see that they, they, they say that Sarah was righteous throughout her whole life. She, it seems that she wouldn't have sinned here. So it, for example, look at the source four. So this verse comes from the, after Sarah, when Sarah dies, the verse says, and the life of Sarah was 100 years and 20 years and seven years, 127. Although it's a very strange way to say it, 100 years and 20 years and seven years. So Rashi there, he quotes from the, from the Midrash. The reason that the word years was written after every digit is to tell that you that every digit is to be expanded upon individually. When she was 100 years old, she was like a 20-year-old regarding sin. Just as a 20-year-old has not sinned because she's not liable to punishment, so too when she was 100 years old, she was without sin. So in Jewish law, um, although a person already at 13 or 12 for a girl would be responsible for their actions, but they're not liable for certain types of, of, of punishment for their actions until they're 20. That's what it's referencing here, that just as she was sin-free at the age of 20, she was sin-free at the age of 100. So, so it would seem from here that, uh, that, you know, the sages are saying she was, that Sarah was, was, was sin-free and would not view this as a sin. Not only that, but Sarah, Sarah the, the, the sages teach us, had, was a tremendous prophetess and, and even, even greater in prophecy than Abraham was. So we're talking about someone who's great and, and in general, to be a prophet, the, the Talmud says you need certain attributes, including humility and, and wisdom. And, and therefore, he says, you know, it's strange that such a small thing would, therefore, it, or it, it would seem strange that such a small thing would bother her to the extent, would arouse her to the extent that she would act so harshly against Hagar. You know, Hagar is mocking her. Okay, but, you know, people have been mocked before. Where's the humility? Where's the uh, where, where's the ability to withstand that? Why is Sarah responding so harshly? So, so I'll share with you the answer of Rav Yosef Salant and his work at the Be'er Yosef, and he explains that it comes back. It's actually kind of similar to what we said before with Avraham. Avraham was able to tolerate Lot until when? until there was Chilol Hashem, desecration of God's name. At that point, now Lo is affecting the mission. Avram was on a mission. Avram's mission was to teach the world about God, to teach the world about kindness, a God of kindness, a God whose ways we emulate. And when Lot and the shepherds got into fight and caused desecration of God's name, that's when Avram had to put his foot down and say, Lo, we gotta, we gotta separate, because you're affecting the mission. And says Rabbi Yosef Salant, it's the same thing here with Sarah. Sarah on her own could have, you know, handled it. It wasn't so much that, you know, her feelings were hurt. That's not why she reacted so strongly. But based on the midrash, when people would come to see Sarah, so. And, and Sarah is trying to teach them and show them her ways and, and the ways of Abraham. Well, Hagar now was throwing a wrench in that. Hagar was, was saying, oh, you think she's so great? She's not great. 
She's not, she's, she's just putting on a show for you. She's a nothing. If she was really something, she'd be pregnant already, right? That was, that was what the Midrash Hagar was telling people. So, so that's, it's an attack on Sarah, but that wouldn't have bother her alone. Look, it's attack on her mission. She's trying to influence. She's trying to inspire these, these women who will come to see her. And now Hagar is, Hagar is ruining her, her opportunity. And that is affecting the mission. That is affecting the goals, the purpose of Avraham and Sarah in founding this, this approach to life and teaching the world this approach to life. And because of that, she says to Abraham, again, in here it's translated, my injustice is upon you. But in the Hebrew, it's Hamasi. Hamas is like, is like stealing almost. She's, she's saying that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm being stolen from. I'm being, my, my ability to inspire is being taken, is being taken away from me. And uh, because of the way that Hagar is speaking about me. And, uh, and I'm still not actually so clear why she's blaming Avraham for this, maybe because he didn't step in, but she's saying, it's your fault, Avraham. Maybe that's just what a good wife does, um, is, is blames her husband. But, uh, but uh, she, uh, no, seriously, it's very important. So, uh, so she, uh, but so she, she's, she's definitely laying this at Avram's feet, but, but the, the point is Hamasi, it's, I'm, I'm being stolen. My opportunity to inspire is being taken away from me. So Avram says, okay, you know, do what you think you need to do. Do what you need to do. So what does she do? She works her, she works her hard. Um, she, again, enslaved her harshly. She, she works her hard. The purpose of this is she, so she gave her types of work that she wasn't necessarily accustomed to. You know, Hagar actually was a, came from the house of Pharaoh. She was a princess. She had, you know, in an act of righteousness, decided to follow um, Avraham and Sarah. And she wanted to, to, she wanted to tag along. She wanted to be a part of them. Um, but because of that, it's likely that Sarah didn't give her, you know, as her maidservant, the hardest, uh, the hardest work. Now she's stepping it up because she needs her away. She needs her, if she's intervening in Sarah's teaching, so then she needs her away. So she gives her, you know, okay, you'll work the fields now. If when you're in the house, you're causing problems. So to the mission, so then, um, so then you should be, I'll work you a little bit harder. You'll have to, you know, schlep from the fields or, you know, whatever the jobs were. So that's what he says was going on here was that she was taking her out of the picture, basically, making it so that she would not be able to throw a wrench in Sarah's work, in Sarah's mission, to prevent her from being able to teach and inspire the women who would come to see her. And, uh, and Hagar can't handle it, and she ends up running away. Then an angel comes, she ends up coming back, but, but that's, that's what was going on here. So... So we look at this chapter and it's, it seems, and the Ramban says that she did something sinful, but there is another way to look at it. And the other way is that she did what was necessary. She did what was necessary to, to, continue, the, uh, the, to, to continue the mission, to, uh, to, to be able to, to continue to, to, to inspire 
Hagar was ruining it. Hagar was 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 saying terrible things about her, and uh, and and therefore she had to she had to she had to deal with the situation. Okay, um, Sue, did you want to say your question out loud? Or difficult time. Yeah, why don't you say out loud? What do you have to say? Oh, you just remuted yourself. Oh, you're still muted. Okay, I'll read you. Oh. There. I find it difficult to blame her for doing what she did because Hagar really let the whole thing go to her head and she was stepping all over Sarah and Sarah was really was the one who was um, her teacher. Um, she allowed her to have relations with her husband. I mean, come on. What right. she right. to do? Go weep and just weep and pray. So I think you're right. You know, I think for, for a regular person, we may expect, you know, somebody to respond in that way. Part of, I think the question, well, there's two parts to this. One is that it seems that it was quite harsh the way she responded. And, and secondly, it, uh, we're talking about Sarah, you know, Sarah who herself, because, because she was so great, we have a higher expectation for her. And so for her to react because she's being mocked or embarrassed in such a strong way, you know, if it's just a personal thing, like, let it go, you know, get over it. Um, you know, you're, you're above that. You're above being insulted um, or at least, you know, not being able to, to deal with it. Such a great person. Um, so you're right. Yeah, you could say, or you could say, no, you know, it's, it's, it's normal and, 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 and it was normal for her to react that way. What uh, Rav Yosef Salant is saying is that, is that it wasn't really just about herself. And that's why she responded in this way. It was really about the big picture. It was really about the mission. And, uh, and that's, she, you know, if it was just about her, she could have let it go, but, but it was more than that. Okay, thank you. So, so let's anyway, uh, is it, yeah. so was it completely wrong to make the comparison between the situation there and the one with Hannah and Tanina um, later on? It's an interesting comparison. It's a good, it's a, it's a very interesting comparison. Um, you have to think about it more, but it, yeah, I, I like the idea. I like it. I like the idea. It's good. Okay. Um, let's um, move on to the second episode where, where uh, Sarah and Hagar kind of, uh, you know, go at it. Let's say now it's already when Yishmael, the son of Hagar, has been born, and so has Yitzchak, the son of Sarah. So we fast forward to later in each of their lives um, on the chart, if you have it. So much has happened in between. Um, this, what we were just reading, was chapter 16. And then um, we have, you know, circumcision, and the angels come, and the destruction of Sodom. And whole episode where Avram goes to put that Olanda pushed him. And then Yitzchak is born. Isaac is born. And now we pick up the next source on our source sheet, with the, which is number five. 
and verse eight, ch chapter 21, verse eight. And it says, and the child grew and was weaned, meaning Yitzchak, Isaac was, was weaned and Avraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Okay, verse nine, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Avraham, making merry. Mitzachek in Hebrew. So he was doing something. It's not clear what he was doing. He was mitzachek. And before we read Rashi, let's just see the reaction of Sarah. So whatever he was doing, this Yishmael, it really upset Sarah. So Sarah says to Avraham, drive out this handmaid and her son. That's it. If he's being mitzachek, then he's got to go. Drive him out. Um, drive out the handmaid and her son. For the son of this handmaid shall not inherit with my son, with Isaac. He cannot inherit. He's not going to, to, to he, can't, he, he, he can't be part of the family. Drive him away. Now, verse 11, but the matter greatly displeased Avraham concerning his son. Now that's, I, the word but actually is not, uh, is, is not in the verse. The, the, the verse actually reads, um, and. So the, this translator that I copied from, put a but, but I don't know, but it's not clear. The matter greatly displeased Avram concerning his son. Which son? Who, 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 which son are we talking about? What displeased him? So Rashi brings both possibilities because he, Rashi says concerning his son because he heard that he had fallen to wicked ways. So he was concerned about Yishmael. Yishmael had, had become wicked. This concerned Avram. Or according to its simple meaning, however, it means because she told him to send him away. Oh, I guess these are both uh, regarding Yishmael. Either he was upset because Yishmael was, had fallen into wicked ways, or he was upset because Sarah had said to send him away. Either way, it's about Yishmael, though. And God said to Abraham, be not displeased concerning the lad and concerning your handmaid. Whatever Sarah tells you, hearken to her voice, for an Isaac will be called your seed. So whatever she says, Shema Bikal, listen to her voice. It's another important lesson, marriage, whatever she says, listen to her voice. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an explicit verse in the Torah. So, uh, okay. So God says, listen to her. Um, here, Rashi points out, we learn from here that Avram was inferior to Sarah in prophecy. So that, that approach is assuming that Sarah was saying it based on prophecy. Okay, that's one way to understand um, fine. So Avram that, that ends up listening and he sends them away. Sar, Hagar and Ishmael. Again, they end up making their way back eventually, but for now he has sent them away. Okay, so I want to explore this episode in the time remaining. Um, and first of all, why does Sarah want her to be sent? Why does Sarah want Ishmael to be sent away? Why does she want Ishmael to be sent away with Hagar? So that could be because he's, he's, he's a kid. You know, he, he's, uh, he's only like 13. So I think at this time, so well, maybe he's older than that by now. Um, so, but he, uh, it, it could be that she just, he, she, he just needs an escort. He needs his mother. Okay, that could be, but maybe there's more to it that, that, that Hagar has to go to. And that may be because, uh, because she feels that Hagar was the influence. If Yishmael turned out you know, bad, he's doing things, whatever he's doing wrong, 
then uh, it's probably because uh, because Sarah was a bad because Hagar was a bad influence. Now, what was he doing? What was he what was he doing wrong? So Rashi there quotes the possibility that he was he was doing really bad things: the three cardinal sins, idolatry, murder, sexual illicit sexual relations. So that's one one approach. I think even some would take that approach say it's not literal. He wasn't literally doing those things, but he was doing things that were you know either leading up to those types of things or tantamount to those types of things. That's one approach. The Malbim, one of the another commentary, says that the word mitzachik actually means like he was like mocking or joking. What was he saying? So he was saying, and this is this is from the midrash. And many said this at the time that you know it just so happens that right after Sarah is 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 uh, kidnapped by by Avimelech, the king of Plishtim, not so not too long ago before this. Then she she becomes pregnant. Well, who do you think the father really is? Is it uh, is it Avraham or Avimelech? And that's what people were saying. That's the mocking that uh, that Yishmael was 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 doing over here, and uh, and this upset Sarah, and uh, and and he, and Sarah felt that it was it was Hagar who was telling him to say this. Because again, you know, Hagar's meddling again, and uh, and that's what that's what upset her. Okay, in any event, um, she was upset, and uh, and she wants to she wants to send him out. Now this seems again cruel for, to send him away, especially if you assume that you know if you assume that he was like murdering. So then that's not doesn't. Of course, you send him you send him packing, right? But uh, if he was just uh, making fun, so maybe there's a better way. Maybe. Maybe, uh, you know, you got to just teach him, maybe be a little more patient with him. It, uh, it would seem cruel, but, uh, but Rav Shamshin Rav Al-Hirsch explains that there was, there was more going on here. You know, Sarah and Avram are kind of old. So what's going to be the legacy of their home? Who's going to run things after they pass? Who's going to be in charge? So... Sarah had to make clear who's not going to be in charge. You know who's not going to be running things? It's not going to be Hagar and Ishmael because they are not, you know, they're not the ones for the job. They are not going to continue the legacy. So she, it was important that they get at least kicked out for a little bit, temporarily sent on their way so that, uh, so that the message is clear. They are not the, you know, like we say, the, the Balabas, the, 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 the people running the place. They are, they are, they are servants at best, you know, or at worst, but, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, they're definitely not running the place. That was one message to get across here. Now, Avraham, it says he was upset by this. Verse uh, 11, it displeased Avraham. Avraham's upset. You know, Avraham is someone who we know has a lot of patience. He has a lot of patience and he has hope that Yishmael can turn it around. He doesn't want to, to send him packing. He wants to give him a chance. But God says, no, listen to her. Even if you don't agree, listen to her voice are the actual words. Listen to her voice. You may not understand what she's saying. You may not agree. Listen to whatever she says. That is God's instruction to, to Avram. And, uh, and Refer says that sometimes a, a woman has a better 
you know, understanding of, 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 of a person, a better sense of, of, of a person's character. And that may have gone into this as well. It could have been through prophecy that Sarah knew, could have been just her better sense of character. She knew that this was not someone that, that it was important for, for Yishmael to be, to be sent away. Um, but I want to actually focus on one more point here, which is that in verse 12, um, it says, God says, listen, Avram, listen to what he says. For in Isaac will be called your seed. In Isaac. In Hebrew, it's be Yitzchak. In Yitzchak will be called your seed. It's a strange way to say it. In Yitzchak. You know, meaning he'll be your, it, it, what it's saying is Yitzchak will be your offspring. But it says in Yitzchak. So why does it say in Yitzchak? So the sages teach us that what it's telling us is that it's not going to be all of Yitzchak that's your offspring. Because Yitzchak, Isaac is going to have two sons, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau. And only one of those is going to continue the line. Esau is going to veer from the path. Only the descendants of Jacob, the B'nai Israel, are going to be the ones that continue the legacy. So at this time, God is telling, why is he telling him that now though? Be Yitzchak, within Yitzchak will your legacy, not all of Yitzchak, only one of his sons. But why is he telling him that now? Because he's telling Abraham, you have two sons too. You have Yishmael and you have Yitzchak. And just like Yitzchak, it's just going to be a portion of Yitzchak that continues, meaning his son Jacob and not his son Esav. So you too, that's how it's going to work. Your legacy is not going to be carried on through both Yishmael and Yitzchak. It's only going to be carried on through Yitzchak. The, 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 the Jewish legacy, the, the legacy of Abraham is going to be, don't worry, you could send Yishmael away because it's going to be through Yitzchak that your, your legacy is carried out. You know, Avram is chesed. He's so kind. And therefore, he's very patient with, with, uh, with Yishmael. Sarah is coming in with sort of, is, is, is what we call the gevura or the din, the strength, the, the justice, the strictness. But that's necessary here to balance out Avram. God says, listen to Sarah. She's going to balance you out a little bit here you're being a little bit too kind and we need Sarah to be your Azer Kenegdo, to be your helpmate opposite you to, to make sure that, that things are, are right. And the truth is that the, the, the forefathers together also follow this pattern. Avraham represents chesed, kindness. Yitzchak represents, and we'll talk more about Yitzchak when we get to him, but represents strict justice or givura, strength which sometimes that strength is really a matter of restraint, the ability to restrain your kindness, right? Sometimes you just want to do kindness, kind, kind, kind. Sometimes you need to actually rein that in. Avram needed to rein in his kindness. He couldn't be so overly nice. And, and, and that was the, the attribute of, of Yitzchak. Now you'll notice, they, like I mentioned just now, each of them had a son that didn't work out. So Avraham has a Yishmael. Yishmael doesn't work out. Yishmael is described as a wild man. Yadobakol, his hand is in everything. His people are known for stealing. In fact, when God, the Midrash talks about God going to the nations and offering them the Torah, when he offers it to Yishmael, they say, what does it say? God says, it says, don't steal. They say, oh, we can't, we can't do that. That's what we do. So 
But but stealing in a certain sense is chesed, is kindness gone wrong. It's overdoing the kindness. It's where you think I have a right to anything, you know, to, to, you know, it, everything is everyone's, right? Let's be, let's be so nice that nobody has a right to anything and everybody has a right to everything. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's, a, um, it's taking kindness and, and, and overdoing it. And, uh, and, and so Yishmael ends up out. Yitzchak represents justice, strictness. Then he has the song Esav. Esav is known for murder. That's taking murder. That's taking that. That's strictness gone wrong. Strictness has a place, but when strictness is, you know, every time, you know, punishment, murder, you know, taking the law into your own hands, that's gone wrong. Also, Yaakov, Jacob is the synthesis of these. It's taking the ideals of Chesed and strictness and, and restraint and and synthesizing it in the perfect mix. And that's what Yaakov represents and passes on to the, to the Jewish people. But just to understand Sarah's role here, Sarah at this point is fulfilling that role. She's the helpmate opposite Avram. Avram is so kind, he needs someone to restrain his kindness. And that's the role that Sarah plays over here. Again, for the, it's necessary for the Jewish people. It's necessary for the offspring of Avraham to develop the way that's necessary is you need someone who's able to put her foot down now and say, we can't have Yishmael influencing Yitzchak. Yishmael is not the path forward. Yitzchak is the going to be the path forward. And that means we need Yishmael out of the house. So Yitzchak can develop the way he needs to develop. And it's a very hard decision when, uh, you know, when a family has this type of situation or a school, you know, where one person is influencing others in a negative way, it's very hard to deal, you know, to decide how to how to deal with it, each of, each situation has to be addressed, you know, according to the specifics of the situation. In this situation, the way that it had to be dealt with was that that he had to be taken, you know, out of the picture, so that uh, the 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 line of Avram, the teachings of Avram, would continue through through Yitzchak. Okay, we will hold it there. Thank you, Rabbi Shops. Sure.